Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm Faith Maffedon. Thanks for tuning in. To get into the holiday spirit, Dorchester families had a holly jolly time at the neighborhood village holiday party. You know, there's only one you. There's no one else like you in this whole big world. Congresswoman Ayanna Presley's words of wisdom rang throughout the neighborhood village's Winter Wonderland Christmas party held last Saturday at the Epiphany School in Dorchester. So those social emotional wellness supports, um, our babies knowing that they have a village that sees them, that loves them, that's nurturing them, that sees greatness in them. That's what today is about. And it's also just about being a kid, defending their childhood so that, all, that they just get to be kids today. The Christmas spirit was in full bloom as hundreds of kids got their faces painted, ate cookies, drank hot cocoa, and received a special holiday visit from city and state leaders. It's because events like this really create space for families, particularly families who have very little, to have an opportunity to come here and have activities to do, walk away with gifts and a little bit of hope during these times, particularly for families who are struggling right now. This could be the only place for them to get a toy to walk away with something that is remembers them of the holidays, right? So that's why these events are so important. Neighborhood Villages is a systems change organization. We believe that all children and all families should have access to a high quality early education and care system. And what we're here to do today at Winter Wonderfest is to be in joyful community with the children and the families who live in the neighborhoods that we work in. This is our um, annual festival for children and families. We're here to support families, provide resources for them, and we're here to help engage our families. We want families to work together. This is a wonderful thing to do in the Boston community, and we're excited to be here today. It was especially important for families to engage with their communities in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic, when young children weren't able to build connections with their neighbors or classmates in person. This Christmas party is so huge. It's very important for our children to come out into the community and be able to have a social life with other people. They've been born in the COVID and they're two and three years old. They've been in the house since uh, 2019, 2020. We're now in 23 and the neighborhood village is able to bring the children from the community out here today to have a social life, to be able to see what it looks like to give back to the community, what it looks like for our children to play with other children. Neighborhood villages reminded families of the true meaning of the holidays, connection and joy. On Sunday, the North End received a special guest appearance at the annual Christmas parade. Santa Claus touched down in the North End via helicopter to bring Christmas cheer to Boston residents at the North End Christmas Parade. And as residents enjoyed the parade filled with marching bands and Disney fan-favorite characters, BNN asked the people of Boston and beyond what their hopes were for the new year. I'm hoping for like everyone to be happy and everyone to have a fun time during the Christmas holidays, of course. Like it's a very fun time to be around. I want to be like filled with joyfulness and glee. <laughs> I want to be present, you know? When we all come together, you know, there's just so many things we can create and do together when we all, you know, come together. But what we have in common and similarities, you know, instead of arguing all the time, because this is the holiday, this is, 
this is the season, you know, it's the season to be jolly. I am hoping for health for my whole family, my grandchildren. I would like to see them graduate possibly from high school would be nice and not to ever have anything like COVID happen again. I'm hoping that science can somehow figure that out and that we have a very, very healthy next few years. Many wished for hope, peace, and unity. Others for humanity to overcome the conflicts that continue worldwide. I'm hoping for um, an era where we can coexist peacefully as a one peoples of like the human race instead of being separate as like all these other things and we're fighting and there's wars and there's panic and there's pandemonium. I'm just hoping that we can find an era of absolute peace and happiness for the human race. What I'm hoping for is for the wars to end and the killing to stop. Gets us nowhere. Peace and love, that's all I gotta say. Before uh, there is war all over the world, uh, I don't think we are where we belong as a humanity. I would love to see like world peace everywhere, uh, better heart from people, and just like uh, help each other how we're supposed to do in this world. As the bands played on and we leave another year behind, one parade goer's thoughts and hopes for the coming year reflected those of many. I'm hoping for peace, forgiveness, for compromise, for people to learn that there's more that we have in common that, than that, that separates us. And so I wish everyone out there a happy holiday season and a Merry Christmas. Local IBEW 103 has opened the doors to a new training center for junior electricians and technicians all over Boston. Three. Last Thursday, Local 103 IBEW and NECA Greater Boston opened the doors of the new Joint Apprentice Training Center after a $10 million renovation. The updated facility houses cutting-edge technology and expanded capacity to train thousands of union apprentices. The new building um, is top of the line, it's state-of-the-art, and it goes hand-in-hand -hand with the uh, state-of-the-art teachers. And the way that they interact with us, it really gives you an amazing chance to be able to obtain the goal of getting your electrical license and being able to provide yourself for yourself and for your family. And it's so amazing to know that these doors are now opened to be able to support even more apprentices as 103 helps to provide more pathways and opportunities for our rising talent to be the future electricians that we know we need to fuel our green economy. Local 103 IBEW seeks to provide Boston's developers with well-trained, highly qualified electricians and telecommunication specialists while working for better benefits and conditions for the workers they represent. Together with NECA, which represents more than 80 electrical and telecommunications contractors in New England, the Greater Boston Joint Apprentice Training Center is currently training over 800 apprentices at their new facility. We just did a major renovation here at Local 103's Training Center. Um, we invested $10 million and we're getting ready for a more sustainable, clean, green energy infrastructure and the careers that provide um, you know, great wages, 
benefits, health insurance, um, for, certainly for, for folks that live in the city of Boston, uh, for them to come and work here and have a great career. Well, IBEW understood that training, their, you know, their apprentices mattered, and they started out 30 years ago in the basement of an elementary school, a Catholic school in Newton, to here, to this state-of-the-art building where they're training 2,000 apprentices a day, state-of-the-art facilities, and it's what they deserve. This is an amazing job, being an electrician in the city of Boston and getting the world-class training from teachers and staff really matters. The training center offers two five-year programs in electrical construction and telecommunications, both designed to prepare well-rounded technicians and electricians. Apprentices participate in over 1,000 hours of intensive in-class training, as well as 10,000 hours of on-the-job training before graduating fully certified and qualified to work. This building here is one of the best and the most modern training facilities that there is in the country. And the reason why any um, apprentice would be proud to be here is because of the knowledge that they have from many people that have been out in the field for a long time. And it's a state-of-the-art facility with a lot of equipment. That's mil they spent millions of dollars here, and you can't beat it. In celebration of the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party, BNN correspondent Karen Soy hit the seaport to speak to residents about the historic event. 250 years ago, the Boston Tea Party became an iconic event, jump-starting the American Revolution. We came to the Boston Arbor today to ask the residents and visitors about how far we've come. Definitely still relevant, definitely something that we still see a lot of. Um, we've also turned into a country that does tax people without representation. We still have territories. We still have, I think, more territories than most people realize we have. Um, and even like within the continental U.S., right, we have D.C. where it's a little bit iffy with the representation. And I think that we still need protests to send a message. The Boston Tea Party was a revolutionary act of protest against unfair taxation. And it is a familiar story to many Massachusetts residents. I think there's, there's value in um, sort of understanding historically that to make, to, you know, change things that you're not happy with disruption and protest and being just a nuisance is necessary in a lot of cases. The people of the 13 colonies started raising their voices and fighting for their own rights. Many think the power of the event helped shaping the spirit of the nation and that building independence and defending it has been essential to America and its people. I think it's, it is, is an example of the kinds of um, freedom of speech and, uh, and freedom of expression that is, is part of American, an important part of American culture. Protests have been changing forms throughout the course of time, but they continue to be one of the main ways which people make their voices heard. I think that sometimes um, it's hard to be heard given all the noise we have going around us and sometimes it takes a disruptive act, um, especially when it's nonviolent in order to get a point across. So I think it's a good way to share your thoughts. In honor of the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party, the city is hosting a series of activities on December 16th, including a theoretical performance, museums exhibitions, and educational programs. Reporting for BN News, I'm Karen Tsui. A 30-year-old organization says they help a specific group of people in Chelsea battle hunger. BNN's Daniela Cejudo found out how they provide main food sources for low-income Bostonians. 
La Colaborativa is a Latino-led organization that says they focus on providing a taste of home. <laughs> Director of Food and Nutrition, Juan Camilo Saverda, says the organization feeds more than 2,000 families a month. Right now, La Colaborativa um, is the biggest Latino-led organization in the city of Massachusetts, um, which is significant due to the rising of the, of the Latino residents in the city as well. Along with food, they help with creating jobs, health care, and immigration services. Lillian Boswell got her entire Thanksgiving meal right here. I've lived in Chelsea one month and I have not been to the grocery store. I don't have to. I, I can't, eggs, eggs, cheese, I mean, you name it. It's just remarkable. Health Equity Coordinator Kat Solano says the group not only provides services, but gives a voice to the community. La Colaborativa impacts everyone here and everyone in the community in general, um, giving people a voice, making people feel seen and heard. La Colaborativa says it helps nearly 200 undocumented residents of Chelsea with health care. U.S. Census data shows that people of Hispanic descent make up two-thirds of the population in Chelsea. For BNN, I'm Daniela Sejudo. Matt Curran is the Senior Vice President of Corporate Development for NWN Carousel, a national powerhouse in cloud communications and hybrid work. In addition, he's the founder and executive director of 33 Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping spinal cord injury patients receive maximized recovery potential. And his drive and passion stems from his own personal triumphs. He joined us in studio to discuss the recent NWN Carousel Hybrid Work Summit, his story, and how we can better advocate for disabled individuals. Enjoy the interview. You were a panelist this week at the second annual Hybrid Work Summit discussing the importance of protecting the rights of disabled individuals in a post-COVID-19 world. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the challenges that those with disabilities face when it comes to work? Sure, and I think one of the most important ways to frame that topic is the element there of post-COVID. If we think about individuals with physical, you know, cognitive or otherwise disabilities. What the pandemic really did, um, and really one of the only good things from my perspective that came out of the pandemic was it forced organizations to create, think about, and have the conversations around access to work for all of us. And, and that accommodation really created access for folks that had previous to the pandemic been struggling with, whether it's getting to the office or at the office being productive or allocating a you know, disproportionate amount of time to my day to getting to work that might have otherwise been allocated to therapy or things that individuals with physical or otherwise disabilities require. And as the pandemic moves into, thankfully, post-pandemic, um, the stage there, it's a concern of, of many of ours that those access elements, those accommodations either go away or become um, less comfortable for the organization. And what we're really after and what we were discussing yesterday at an awesome event at Fisher College was we've really proven as an economy and as a population that we can all be productive working in that manner. Um, and we can truly be inclusive and truly have a diverse, productive, engaged workforce. And so let's lean into that technology as opposed to revert back to pre-pandemic. 
Absolutely. And uh, speaking of the, the panel, Nancy Freights, mm -hmm. mother of Pete Freights, uh, who's the creator of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge, was a featured speaker. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of the takeaways from sure. uh, Nancy's conversation? Absolutely. I'm blown away in what the Freighties family did with the Ice Bucket Challenge, what they did for ALS, and what Pete really started with his journey um, was generational from a fundraising and awareness perspective. I think that that team, that family, have really created a platform for the caretakers as a element of the disability ecosystem or the, those who require help aren't maybe the first thing people think about when an injury happens or someone's facing a, a challenge, a health challenge uh, primarily. And really, Nancy brought that awareness to the conversation around a loved one, whether it be um, an injury, an illness, or perhaps even an aged uh, parent. Right? Many of us are in a position either right now or pretty shortly here in the future where we've got a, a job or a passion we're chasing. We've also got responsibilities and um, requirements to be present for our family. And what Nancy helped do was bring that into the conversation because I think often when we talk about disabilities and access, people think about the injured individual, if you will. It's broader than that. And so she, and, and just a superstar um, person and family, and if you think about um, having an intimate interaction in a small auditorium at the Fisher College, it was really a, a blessing to be in the room with that family for sure. And you brought up a really interesting point. Um, it affects not only the, the person with the disability, it also touches the family and the, the support network as well. Um, and you yourself, you have a very compelling personal story that has really fueled your advocacy for the disabled community. Um, can you talk a little bit, can sure. you share that story with sure. us and the founding of your own company, yes. uh, 33 Foundation? Uh, I'd be happy to, and, and I think any time we get a chance to talk about it, um, as I mature, I get more comfortable with it. So I, um, I grew up in the Boston area. I played hockey at Catholic Memorial right down the street in West Roxbury. Um, I ended up at Providence College, and as a member of that hockey team, I was on a trip following my junior year um, where I, I fell. I fell off a roof, um, wrong place at the wrong time, and take all the responsibility for that, but ended up breaking my neck and my back in that injury um, with spinal damage at C6 and thoracic 3, so kind of Adam's apple and chest line. Um, with the original prognosis being for me that I'd never walk again, never move anything below my chest, so blessed um, to have my family around me, um, to have faith, and to have um, an incredible um, rejection of that prognosis and fuel that into hard work. I walked out of that hospital in Atlanta um, six months after here, and I'd never walk again. And I did that, you know, one arm on my parents, one arm on my faith. Wow. And it's really important 20-something years later, that was 2001, to make sure that the benefits I had, my parents were there the whole time. We, we grew up in Massachusetts, so Atlanta's not close. Um, not a wealthy family, so had to make some really trade-off decisions around, and I, I didn't make them, my folks did, around do I stay with my son thousands of miles away or do I go back home and begin to try to gather some money to pay for the bills he's accruing. Um, and so the 33 Foundation, really simple. We try to connect are generous donors to amazing folks who have a need. For now, we've really focused on in the spinal cord injury space, but the universe is growing. You know, we struggle a bit with, we really help one person, but that leaves a lot of folks unserved. 
And so as we grow the platform at the 33 Foundation, we do so only to help more people. There's no ego, there's no name in the title of the organization, there won't be. It's about thousands of people need help. We're helping one or two a year. I'd love to double that and continue doing so with the support of the community. And so we're so thankful, so lucky. My day job at NWN Carousel runs a really aligned strategy around bringing technology solutions to everyone mm -hmm. so we can all collaborate in an efficient, safe, productive way. And it's just really like a happy accident that that's also my personal passion, which is around helping folks with disabilities get access to what they need to improve their recovery. So I'm just a fortunate guy, despite a rocky road there in 2001, to sitting here today with you talking about both NWN and 33. Well, your, I think your story is uh, such a beautiful testimony. Thank you. Um, and uh, speaking of NWN Carousel, can you uh, share how is the organization working to transform the workspace for uh, those who are disabled? We, we are an organization focused on ensuring that organizations can collaborate, can interact, can work, can learn, can seek service and provide service, period. And what we do across our customer set, which is, is quite diverse and, and growing, um, whether it be a state agency providing rehabilitation services to their, to their clients, or in Massachusetts, we're on the Mass Voice contract. Numerous state agencies are, are partners and customers bringing technology to the conversation so that we're able to do things like this either here today in the studio or in a hybrid posture tomorrow if, if one of us is not in Boston. Um, with really no friction, right? If we go back five, seven years ago, um, that hybrid interaction, that video interaction would have been a bit clunky, might not have been as smooth, sometimes failed. And um, today, really, there's no tolerance for that in the experience. It's about making sure folks can interact in a frictionless way, period, right? And I think at NWN, we have led that, um, that strategy. We, we're really a market leader and continue to really look for ways to ensure the experience of the end user is really the prominent part of the conversation. Excellent. How can employers better protect the rights of disabled individuals? Back to the top of the conversation, we talked about the pre and post pandemic world from an access perspective for folks with disabilities. I think it's important, it's important that we just continue to feed that momentum. The change that came because we had to, the royal we had to change to continue to operate, whether it be schools, businesses, state agencies. Everyone had to change in 2020. And we changed really quick and we proved we can do it. And it was bumpy, but we all got through it and these organizations, many of them grew. And so let's continue to harness that momentum and continue to make sure we really have organizations that reflect the communities in which we live, work and play, as opposed to almost that because someone either can't physically get to the classroom or the office, or maybe that office isn't super accessible for someone who might be in a chair. Right. Um, it, it's really a, a cry, you know, a call for action that just says, we've already all done it. So there isn't this big fear of change. It's let's continue to evolve. And I think, you know, bringing engagement, bringing equality, bringing access into the conversation with the expectation that change will happen, not just to talk about it, Action's the key, right? Um, and so really that's what I think, and I would encourage organizations to do. Um, 
and, and I'll end this comment with many folks with disabilities are either forced to or cut. Many folks with disabilities have had to foster a resourcefulness and creativity just simply to get through the day. And I'm speaking personally, when I couldn't move my legs, the manner in which I put my pants on and put on my shoes had to be different. And the way I approached those simple day-to-day -day tasks, brushing your teeth, taking a shower, mentally you go to the end of that. I don't know how I'm gonna get there, but I'm gonna go out the front door today looking like I used to. And it doesn't happen in the same way. That resourcefulness I've found can be applied to corporate problems, corporate issues. And you come to the conversation as another voice at the table, not a dominant voice, but in a boardroom, in a leadership room, in a conversation like this, why would we exclude that talent? It's a different problem-solving headset. Mm -hmm. Let's foster it, at least listen to it. Yes, I, I think that perspective is so important to, as you said, continuing to move um, things forward and not going back. And finally, where can viewers learn more? Um, Viewers can learn more at our website, 33foundation.org. They can really engage the company at nwncarousel.com. Um, they can find us on Instagram, 33foundation. I'd, I'd love you to reach out, follow us. We have some amazing stories of beneficiaries that over the years have joined the 33 family, perhaps in a chair, and are still in the 33 family. Some are up and walking. Um, some might physically still be on their journey but are doing amazing things. Intellectually, we have a beneficiary, Diane Vickis, a Brown University trained um, RN, and she's now providing um, pediatric healthcare through a remote technology solution. So if you just think about that for a second, here's a quadriplegic who was on the medical track, suffered an accident, is on the medical track doing actually what she set out to do before she got hurt, and the only thing in that equation that makes that true is the insertion of technology. Mm -hmm. Diane's a fighter, and that didn't change. Diane wants to help people. She's doing that. How? Technology. And that's like, you could, hopefully you hear it in my voice. Like, <laughs> it just like fires me up to talk about because those are the rock stars that we've had a chance to meet both at the foundation and at the company. Well, Boston, that's our broadcast for tonight. Thanks for tuning in. For BNN News, I'm Faith the Maffedon, and I'll see you next Friday.